Really good to see everyone this morning. Welcome to church. Great to be in the house of God. Uh, great to be in his presence today. Do you know, we so readily experience the presence of the person that's sitting next to us, a physical person, a human being, and, and, and we just experience each other's presence as we come in. We, we come in, we greet each other, we say hello, and it's good to be in our each other's presence. We interact with each other, we laugh, hopefully we laugh, uh, unless Robert tells a joke, in which case we really laugh. Um, maybe we pray with somebody, I don't know if you, if you do that. We always have the opportunity to pray with each other as we come to church. You, you can pray for somebody else, you can minister to somebody else. You don't need to wait for somebody to give you permission to do that. But I wonder, I wonder have we come with a desire to really encounter the presence of God in this place today because before we even arrived here the Holy Spirit was here God was here by his spirit he was already here and and uh, and as we come together we bring something of that dynamic into our gathering and I, I just pray my, my prayer is that we encounter the Holy Spirit in a fresh way today that we experience something of God's presence today as we gather to worship we've come to worship God come to take communion, share communion, we've come to uh, just minister to each other, but we've come to minister to God. And I just want to pray, I would like us to do something a bit different this morning, just if you are able to, to stand, and Courtney's going to put a, a prayer up on the screen, I'm, I'm just inviting us to pray that prayer together today. Uh, it's just a prayer of invitation, then I'll pray and then hand over to the team who are going to lead us in worship today. So if you're able to stand, let's stand and let's pray this prayer today. Okay, here we go. Heavenly Father, today may we encounter you in the body of Christ, your church. May we encounter you in worship as we honor you in our praise. May we encounter you in the breaking of bread. May we encounter you in your word. May we encounter your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. And Father, we just pray, draw us into your presence today. Soften our hearts, Father. Open our eyes and ears that we may apprehend you. Open our understanding. Open all of our faculties of perception today that we may encounter you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's praise him.
faith arise let all agree there's no power like the power of jesus i will believe for greater
for what you've done, what you've accomplished in that cross, that you were able to say it is finished. The work was completed. Everything that you needed to do was finished on that cross. Paying the price for our sin, that we might be able to walk in your ways and walk in a life where we are free from guilt, free from shame free from the bondages that would seek to hold us back as human beings, never mind just as Christians, but as human beings, free, free to live the way that you would have us live. And Father, we thank you that, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, that we might have your Spirit live within us, the very Spirit of God living in us. And Father, we thank you for that reality today. And Lord, as we take a moment and turn aside and, and to share uh, bread and wine together. Father, we ask that you would come and meet us and that you'd presence yourself and that we would experience your presence in the communion as well. Father, we've experienced and are continuing to experience your presence in worship. Father, everything that we do today is an act of worship. But Father, in the praise, Lord, we know that you come and that you live in our praise. And Father, we, we just ask that our praise is honoring to you in this place today but Father as we take bread and wine we just pray help us to focus on Jesus help us to focus on that unique once and for all sacrifice for us for the sins our sins but Father for the sins of the whole world and so Father we just ask help us to really get fixed on that this morning please be seated I'm just going to read some verses From Mark, Mark chapter 14, and uh, most of the verses that I'm going to read today, I'll be reading, <coughs> excuse me, from the New Living Translation, 
I just for a change today. And it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body. And he took the cup, the cup of wine, and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives, which is what we thought about in the message last week. Father, we just pray. We pray that we remember as Jesus instituted this part of our service called communion or breaking of bread. Father, we pray that we would experience your presence. Father, as we remember the, the body of Jesus which was broken, the, the bread representing that body which was broken, and Father, the, the blood representing, uh, the wine representing the blood of Jesus which was shed. Father, we pray that we would just apprehend that Jesus went through all this, he endured all this for us, that our sins might be forgiven. And Father, we do this in remembrance of Jesus. Father, we take a moment, your word tells us, Paul instructs the church in Corinth to, to examine themselves because Father, we've not to take communion if we're, if we're unworthy. Father, if, if, if there are things in our lives which are, are not right with you, then you instruct us not to take communion, but to sort those things out and then come and take communion. And so, Father, we just take a moment just to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts. And, uh, and Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would highlight things that we just need to confess before you this morning. And Father, we just want to say that we agree with your assessment. That's what confession is, Father. We, we're just agreeing with your assessment about our lives. And Father, we're asking that you help us to turn around, that you help us to repent of those things and to walk in your ways. And Father, we know that when we do that, the Holy Spirit comes in and has fellowship with us and we have fellowship with you and we have fellowship with one another because there's nothing getting in the way of that fellowship. And so, Father, we just take a moment, just in a little bit of stillness, Father, to think about our own lives, to examine ourselves. take a moment and Father we confess our weakness before you Father perhaps something that we've said this week something that we've done this week something that we've thought this week and Lord we look we look back on that moment and we're not proud of it but Father we know that when we confess our sins that you're faithful and just not only to forgive us but to cleanse us to make us clean from everything that's wrong from all wrong living and Father, that, that we can come and find that forgiveness. We can find grace and mercy in your presence this morning. And Father, we, we're reminded that that's made available for us through what Jesus has done. That's why we take communion today. And so Father, we just take this bread and we remember the body of Jesus, which was broken for us. Father, we pray your blessing upon the bread as we eat it together in Jesus' name. Let's take bread together. Father, we just remember the blood of Jesus which was shed upon that cross. Father, we thank you that he was willing in the garden and he said, if there's any other way, you know, if this cup can be taken from me, this cup of suffering, this cup of torment, this cup of punishment for sin, if there's any other way, then let it be. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Father, we thank you that he was willing for his blood to be shed 
Father, the word says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or no remission of sins. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, which was shed once and for all, a perfect sacrifice, a human being for a, a human being, a life for a life. And Father, we thank you that he was willing to bear that punishment upon himself. And so Father, as we take this bread, this wine, Father, we remember his blood, which was shed for us in Jesus' name. Let's take wine together. You know, I would like us to sing that song again, the one that we've just sung, because it points us towards the cross, it points us to Calvary, it points us to Jesus, points us to everything that he has accomplished for us. And so band, if we're okay with that, let's just, let's just do that song again before we move on in our service. Jesus was able to say with full assurance and confidence, it is finished. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible salvation. We thank you that our eyes have been opened to see the King of Kings, to see the King of Glory, to see the Lord of all hosts, to see God above God's Father, God who created everything in the universe, who sustains everything in the universe. 
And Father, that we have been called into a relationship with you. Father, how awesome is that? Father, we thank you for this privilege. And Lord, we pray that as we turn to your word in just a moment, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and that you would speak to us. And Father, that you'd bring your spirit to move upon us and to convict us. And Father, to do whatever you need to do in our hearts today. Father, may we lean into all that you say to us. May we seek you first. Seek you and your righteousness and Father, we know that all those other things, all the other things which we need in life will be added to us. But Father, today we're here to be in your presence, to seek your face. And Father, just to enjoy fellowship and company with each other and fellowship and company with you. And so Father, we pray that as we open your word in a minute, Lord, may our hearts be opened to receive what you want to deposit in them today in Jesus' name and for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. amen. Wow, I just love being in God's house. You know, I've been doing this since I was knee-high a grasshopper. In fact, even before before I came into the world, I've been doing this. Uh, it wasn't my choice then, but it was afterwards. And, and for, you know, many, many years now, we've been part of this church, and it has been our choice to come and to worship God week by week by week by week and just to enjoy being in His company. And it's just incredible. I love it. I love worship. Do you know, I'm, I'm needing to retire from playing the guitar but I actually love it so much at the same time. Um, so <laughs> I, can't, I can't help myself. So whoever we're training up next to you, you need to work alongside me and play alongside of me for a wee while. Um, just to reiterate some things, just some announcements. Um, on Monday morning, we'll pray again at 9.30. Wednesday night at 7.30, all on Zoom. We were due to have Zach with us from Convoy of Hope Europe. He was here just a few weeks ago with us, but Zach came down with COVID. Um, he was planning to be in Poland and to join us from Poland for our prayer time together. That's now not happening, but we, we are going to reschedule that. Uh, so to, so this, this Wednesday coming, we'll still be meeting to pray nonetheless. And tonight at 6.30, we'll be meeting to pray for prodigals. I don't know about you, um, I, I'm really excited about what God is saying about this. He's just given a, a burden to the church to pray for prodigals um, and, and given Bobby a burden to pray in that area. Those who've been part of church, who've maybe experienced God but have drifted away, wandered away, we're praying that God will bring them back in. And uh, a few Fridays ago, um, I was uh, unwell. I was in the house isolating in my room. I was in my cell, my cell. So, uh, but I was joining the, the, the time when Clem Ferris was here, and Clem Ferris actually said that. He said about God bringing prodigals back into the church. I was really, really encouraged by that, because I, I just, I can see it. I can see these people coming in and occupying seats and being part of what God is doing in this place. So, I'm really excited about that. Now, I do need to reiterate something that's a bit more somber, um, and just in case people didn't catch this, we're, we're trying to navigate the times that we were that we're in just now, coming out of the other side of COVID. But it doesn't feel like we're coming out, does it? Because so many people are catching this. I, I managed to dodge it for for two years, and then I caught it. I'm like, I don't even know how that happened, you know. Um, but we sent out an email this week, and just to clarify some things as far as the church is concerned. Um, uh, there was guidance released at the start of the week that said that it's no longer a requirement to wear a face mask in a place of worship. Now, we take um, a sensible approach to that, I think, and, and this is what we sent out in the email. Although masks are no longer a legal requirement, we fully acknowledge that many individuals will still prefer to wear a mask, and we ask that everyone respects their decisions. Many people also prefer to maintain a personal space of one meter plus, and again, we ask that everyone be aware of these preferences. It is each person's responsibility to make their own preference known to others. However, we would ask everyone to always err on the side of safety. That's what was sent out in the, the email this week, just in case you didn't catch it. So, we're in a transition period as a church. Tr churches all over the place are in transition. Um, as we navigate our way through 
just what's going on in our nation just now. We're all in the same position. All churches are in the same position. So it's no longer a requirement to wear a mask in a place of worship. If you still want to do that, then that's okay. And we need to respect each other's decisions. That's one of the incredible things about the church is that we're able to model something and set an example to other people where they go, wow, they, those guys all get on together. They must really like each other. Some people are wearing masks and the other people who are not are okay with that. And some people aren't and the people who wear masks are okay with that. That's amazing, eh? Oh, I wish we could be like that. So there you go. I'm being jokey about it, but serious at the same time. We need to respect each other's sense of person, if I can put it that way. So let's just make sure we do that. I'm going to pray just for a minute and then we're going to come to the word. Time is rapidly marching on. Father, we just do come before you today, and Father, we, we know that there are so many things happening in our world, in our nation, but Father, further afield as well, and Lord, we just want to remember the whole situation in Ukraine, and Father, we ask that you would bring peace in that situation. Father, we pray for a, uh, an end to hostilities, we pray for an end to war, but Father, we pray for a, a proper and peaceful solution to what's going on there. Lord, there are so many people who have been negatively impacted by this, Father, on all sides and the neighboring countries as well. And Father, we ask for your peace just to rule in every heart. Lord, we pray for your church who is still active in Ukraine and the surrounding nations. Father, even, even in Russia, your church active there. And Lord, we pray for the Christians. Lord, we pray for your church that you'd give them wisdom and the resources that they need and the strength that they need. And, and Lord, may our hearts be stirred to remember to pray for them every day, Father, as they are in need, as they walk through uh, a difficult journey as well. So, Father, we just ask, we just ask that you'd hear our prayer this morning and, and be pleased to answer that prayer as we lift it with many other churches across our nation today. And Father, we pray that as we turn to your word on this Palm Sunday, Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and speak into our hearts and speak into our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. So the title of what I'm going to talk about today is Golgotha. Last week I talked about Gethsemane, today Golgotha. Next week when we come to Easter Sunday, we'll be thinking about the garden. We'll be thinking about resurrection because it's Resurrection Sunday. But today I want to think about Golgotha, just for a little moment or two. Um, Jesus and his disciples went from the, the scene of the Passover, which we've just remembered there as we took communion, something which Jesus instituted. We call it communion, Lord's Supper. There are many other names for it as well. And he passed over the Kidron Brook to a place called Gethsemane. And there last week we thought about and we saw his duty, his distress, and ultimately being deserted by his friends. It was also there that Jesus was betrayed into the hands of the mob by Judas. Imagine being betrayed by one of your friends in that way. It's just, it's just you can't even begin to think about that. He was taken to appear before the high priest, Caiaphas, then before the high council, then before Pilate, then back to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And it was Pilate who made the ultimate decision to hand Jesus over to be crucified. He gave in to the pressure of the crowd. And when you consider the distress of Gethsemane, a night without sleep, not to mention public humiliation, being beaten, being passed around from pillar to post, then flogged, Jesus must have been absolutely exhausted before he even began his ascent to this place that we'll think about today, Golgotha. Is it any wonder that he struggled under the weight of that cross? Hard it's hard to think about this stuff. We can't even begin to imagine what it was like. This word Golgotha is actually the, the Hebrew word for the place where Jesus was crucified. And it actually means the skull. The Greek word is cranium, which is where we get the word cranium. And it reminds me of a wee song that Mary keeps repeating there was a wee man for Leeds who swallowed a packet of seeds and out of his cranium grew a geranium. <laughs> and I kind of remember the last bit. Do, 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 do. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I've been flippant. You have to when you think about this stuff because you didn't laugh, you'd cry. The Greek word cranium and uh, the Latin word is actually calvary locus. 
Three different languages used to describe the one place. Calvary locus, we, uh, we translate that the place of the skull. And as you look at pictures, you try to find out what, what it's like now. There are people who've taken pictures and, you know, there's a, a kind of shape of the skull on one of the side of the hills. I, I, I don't know if that was the actual location or not. However, we know that it was a place where Jesus had to travel to. And it's interesting that above that cross, above his head, was written a sign in the Hebrew language, Jesus, the King of the Jews. It was written in Hebrew, the language of revelation, where God speaks to his people. It was written in Greek, the language of philosophy and art. And it was written in Latin, the language of power and law, the forces that were in control at the time. And it was written, and it was put there to mock Jesus. But in actual fact, it was a powerful statement to the then known world in three different languages, probably the predominant languages, and it was there for everybody to see, a statement that this is actually, in actual fact, Jesus, the King of the Jews. No, all mocking aside. And I want to read from Matthew uh, chapter 27 as we come to our reading today. It's entitled The Crucifixion. Then we'll go into what it says about the death of Jesus. I'm going to read again from the New Living Translation. So Matthew chapter 27. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall. Please take a wee note of that. What they were trying to offer him was a sedative that would dull the pain. But when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers uh, gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, fulfilling scripture at the same time. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one in his right and one in his left. And the people passed, uh, passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Of course, he wasn't talking about the actual physical temple, which would be destroyed 70 years later. Well, not 70, but in 70 AD. He was talking about his own body. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from that cross. And do you know what? He could have, but he chose not to. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. Even if they'd seen a miracle, they would still not have believed in Jesus. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some of the bystanders, bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink, but he uh, sorry, but the rest said, wait, let's see what Elijah, uh, whether Elijah comes to save him. And then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. What an incredible account. Jesus dying on that cross for us. Jesus dying on that cross for our sin, that we might be free, that we might be forgiven. And all of this stuff going on round about him, as we've read, what must it have been like? We can't even begin to imagine what that must have been like, the humiliation that Jesus endured. And yet we can become so familiar with this message, with these words. We can become so familiar with the story. We've heard it 
well, maybe, maybe we've not heard it over and over again, but I have heard it over and over again. And we can become so familiar with the story. It's like watching a movie. Have you ever been to the movies and you watch a movie and you get so engrossed in the movie and then you come back out the movie and you go, okay, what's next? McDonald's? Do you know, it's like, that was a good movie, but we've forgotten all about it and we're just out the door. And it, it makes me think that sometimes we, we can approach this incredible uh, truth, this incredible message, this, it's not just a story, it's not just a historical, uh, it's not just a, a, a fictional story, it's a historical account of what actually happened to this man called Jesus. Do you know, I remember one time, um, and you know, let, let's just think about this for a little second, I've entitled this section God in the Movies. Um, many, many years ago, I did a a session in Compass. I did many sessions in Compass called God in the Movies, looking at what the movies actually say about God. Um, but I remember one time watching that movie, The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Back in 2004, I was there with a bunch of invited guests, ministers. I was Andrew's hanger-on. Um, I was just there because Andrew was there. Um, and I got the chance to go and see this movie, The Passion of the Christ. And I'll, I'll, I will never forget that. I've never watched it since. I watched it once. I've never watched it since. Because at the end of the movie, everybody sat in silence. I can't remember for how long, but it felt like forever. Everybody just sat in silence. People with tears running down their faces. And then one by one, slowly, people began to get up and leave the cinema in silence, absolute silence. Nobody could say a word, having been confronted with the reality of the crucifixion, being confronted with the reality of what happened to Jesus. And after I came out of the movie, I was only walking a few streets up to Chamber Street to a wee Italian restaurant called Fazzi's where I was meeting some colleagues for work when I worked with Crusaders. We were going to have a, a board meeting in that, that night and we had a uh, we had dinner together first, and I remember going into the, the restaurant, and they were all there, and I, I remember my colleague going, well, what was it like? What was it like? He was very enthusiastic. He was always enthusiastic. In fact, my, my colleague back then used to impersonate absolutely every noise he heard. Like, there'd be a fire engine passing past, and he, he, he would impersonate the fire engine. Rob was a bit of a character. And Rob's, he was the one who's like, what was it like? What was it like? All, all enthusiastic and excited, and I'm like, I, I could hardly even speak. And I can't even remember what I said, but it was along the lines of, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. I'd been confronted with the graphic reality of the crucifixion. Of this moment on a, a hill called Golgotha. And I, I see three things on Golgotha. Darkness, desolation, and death. I've pinched those titles from somebody else this time, just so that you're aware but I want you to notice something first before I go into this. In Mark chapter 5, verse 25, it says, it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified Jesus. So between Gethsemane and Golgotha, all this stuff had been going on the night before, all the way through the night, and all these appearances before, all these panels and judges and all the, the flogging and everything that happened to Jesus and even walking to the cross, even walking to Golgotha with his cross, and Simon carrying his cross, all this happened, but it was nine o'clock in the morning, on that Friday morning, where he was actually crucified. Just, I want you to take note of that time. And the first thing that we see is darkness. Matthew Chapter 27, verse 45 says this, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And, and Luke records this, the light from the sun was gone. Midday, where the sun should be at its brightest, the light from the sun was gone. I want you to remember that Jesus, when he was in the garden, accepted a cup. Remember, he said, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. He's not talking about a physical cup which is a good cue. He's talking about what was lying ahead of him. And here he is accepting this cup in Gethsemane. But he was offered another cup 
a literal cup, one that had a sedative in it. And as I said a few minutes ago, he refused to drink it because even though darkness descended, physical darkness, Jesus wanted to be fully aware, fully alert of what was about to happen. Nothing that happened to him was dulled because of any sedative, no painkillers, nothing. Jesus wanted to be fully aware in that moment. It was a dark, dark moment. And no aspect of this suffering was hidden from Jesus. Nothing, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. And it's precisely because he endured the darkness that Jesus can say, I am the light of the world. Out of darkness shone a light. And the world may have been dark, but how bright was that moment for us who see Jesus crucified, risen, and glorified. And because he endured this moment of darkness, he can bring light into our darkest moment. No matter what happens in life, Jesus is that light in our life, that constant, the one who lights up our way. The second thing is desolation. Desolation is defined, firstly, as perhaps a time of emptiness or destruction, or secondly, a time of loneliness. Let's look at this scripture from Matthew 27, 46. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some translations say, why have you forsaken me? God, to all intents and purposes, the Father turning his back on this moment, and Jesus is there alone. Jesus experienced separation from God. It was a time of isolation, a time of loneliness. Yet his trust in God was complete. He was on the cross on his own. And yet there's a sense in which he wasn't on his own because there were people all around him. There were soldiers, ministers of cruelty, ministers of the justice of Rome, people who were well acquainted with doing what they did. It's not even recorded, the details. I don't think we'd want the details recorded of how Jesus was nailed to that cross. But these were the guys who nailed him to the cross. There were people passing by, ministers of mockery, insulting Jesus, chief priests and the teachers of the law, also ministers of insult and ridicule. There were two revolutionaries on either side of him, they were being crucified for their rebellion. They were being crucified because they deserved it. And one of them acknowledged that. And not at the start, both of them hurled insults at Jesus, but one of them, he obviously saw something in Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And something happened in that man's life. Notably, the women who had attended to Jesus when he was in Galilee, they were surrounding him. They were maybe at a distance, but they were there. They were close enough for Jesus to be able to communicate. John was there as well because he actually said to John, you need to take responsibility for my mum. And the reality for us is that the world still mocks Jesus, still happens today, still mocks Jesus. And this is what one of the commentators said, only they who see their sacrifice for sins, for their sins, and the world's see what is there. Jesus upon that cross. For people who have been able to see this, this was for my sin. This was my sin which put him there. And so often we forget that it's our sin that nailed Jesus to that cross. Our sin. He's dying on our behalf. Dying on our behalf. And yet he says, it's for us that we can be forgiven. And it's this very separation, this desolation that accomplished our forgiveness. Our sin, the sin of the whole world, rested in Jesus in this final act of obedience and trust. Sin results in separation from God. We see that in Adam at the very start of the Bible. If you eat of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And he did. We see it in Noah when God decided to remake the world. I don't know about you, sometimes I look up at the stars and I think, wouldn't it be good just to travel away up there and start afresh somewhere new, find a new planet where everything's nice and healthy and green and 
We'll go somewhere and we'll start off afresh. And do you know what? I thought about that just recently and I thought it would just end up a mess because we are sinners and we mess everything up. Everything that we see that's wrong in our world, if you come back to it, it's about sin. It's about selfishness. We can see, though, that it's dealt with in that cross. Amen. Third thing is death. And I don't know if you've clocked this, but it was six hours later. Six hours later. I said that, make a wee note of this. It was nine o'clock in the morning when Jesus was put on that cross. At noon, darkness fell and everything went crazy and haywire. There's, there's lots of things we could say about what happened at that point when he said it is finished. We're not going to go into that today. But Jesus was on that cross for six hours. It's hard to imagine. There's a man called Patrick Hamilton who lived back in 1520-something. He, was, he lived back then in the 16th century. And he was, a, he was an advocate of the Reformation. He was an advocate of the message that we take for granted today, that it's not by works that we're saved, but by God's grace. And he was an advocate of that message. And because he was an advocate of that message, he wouldn't back down on it. He'd listened to people like Luther and, and all these guys. And he saw something. He had a revelation from God that were saved by grace. And Patrick Hamilton was burnt at the stake in St. Andrews. You can go and you can see the place. There's a PH in the cobblestones, which is the point where he was burnt at the stake for his faith. I found it really interesting that it took six hours for Patrick Hamilton's life to come to an end. Six hours. I find that absolutely horrific. Somebody burnt at the stake for their faith, for daring to say that we're saved by grace. Six hours, and here's Jesus on the cross. Six hours on that cross. It wasn't just something that happened quickly. And then it says, and I'll put that scripture up from Matthew 27, 50. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. In other words, he sent his spirit away. Jesus was not killed by the Romans who surrounded him. He was not killed by those soldiers. The others were victims of crucifixion. They would just wilt away and they would have no strength left and eventually they would have nothing left. But Jesus had breath in his lungs, which is why he could cry out aloud and he gave up his own life. The last conscious act of Jesus till the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead on the third day. And it was not just a physical death, but a separation from God spiritually as well. And we could talk a lot about what happened to Jesus after, after the crucifixion, after death and before resurrection. The Bible tells us about some of the things that happened then. It's worth reading. Get into your Bible and read it. But even in his darkest hour, he put his trust in his Father, our Father. What about you? What or who are you actually putting your trust in day by day? What about you? Jesus, in his darkest moment, in his darkest hour, the light of the world, continued to put his trust in God. And I think that's why we can read, and it's, it's a fantastic passage. I want to read a little bit from Romans chapter 8, 34 to 39, and I'll put part of it on the screen today. And I'm going to switch to the New King James Version just because I love the, I love the way the language uh, is, is communicated here. Who is he who condemns us? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Jesus raised, ascended, glorified in heaven with his Father at the right hand of God, praying for you and praying for me. What a privilege. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love that. 
We don't just win. We are more than conquerors, not on our own strength, not on our own terms, but through Him who loved us, through Him who in that moment when He said that is finished, realized that He had accomplished our salvation on that cross. Therefore, nothing can separate us. And then it goes on to say in verse 39, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, not even our own sinfulness can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ, because He said, it is finished. The work's done, our salvation accomplished. How does the reality of the cross impact your life, not just in the moment like you're watching a movie and you come out the movie theater and you walk away and you go and you get involved in the next thing? Sometimes I think it can be like that for us when we leave church. Can we just come out of church thinking it's just been like going to the movies? And we go, wow, that was amazing. Then you go and you get the kettle on and you have your tea and you put the telly on or whatever you end up doing and you forget and you go, why, that was good, but what's got on life? How, how, how does this message affect our lives when we go out of this place? How does it affect our Monday morning when you go to work or school or college or uni or down the street or whatever you end up doing? How does it affect our lives with our families? How does it affect us when we're facing temptation? How does it affect us in the moments when we're ready to give up? Has anybody ever felt like that as a Christian? I just want to give up. Or am I the only person who's ever felt like that? Lord, Lord, I'm just ready to give up. I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't understand why sometimes my prayer's not been answered. I don't understand why that situation's happened there when it doesn't. And sometimes you get to a point where you're just like, it's just, it just, it becomes overwhelming sometimes. The times when we feel like we're ready to walk away and give up. And I sometimes get annoyed with myself because there's a wee verse in Galatians that says we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. There's a verse in Corinthians. What does that say now? It's at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. I've forgotten what it said. But it's the same idea. Like, we have to keep going, we have to keep going, we have to persevere. We need to keep going, because Jesus persevered for us. Six hours on a cross. Jesus persevered for us. He got to the point where he could say, it is finished. How will you respond to the cross? This is what the Roman soldier said. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. This was a hardened Roman soldier who was used to seeing suffering, and his heart was probably hard to all. And in this moment, it was softened, and he realized that this man on the cross was no ordinary man. This was the Son of God. This was Jesus, the King of the Jews, dying for the sin of the world. That was his response. What's your response today? If you're online, what is your response to the cross? to the crucifixion of the perfect, spotless Son of God who died on the cross. There were many crosses in those days, but He died on the cross, the one and only, that your sin and my sin could be forgiven, that the way to heaven could be opened up. Jesus said that of Himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way into the presence of Father God, and that is through Christ. No other way. In our pluralistic society, we sometimes hear people saying, well, all roads lead to God. No, they don't. They lead to our God, but they don't necessarily lead to Father God. There are lots of ways where people can find themselves onto that road, the narrow way that the Bible talks about, and there are ways you can get on, but there is only one way, and it's Jesus. And He is the way that opens up heaven, a relationship with God. God who wants to call you his son, his daughter. 
into that relationship with our Father. What should we do about this? How are we going to respond and what should we do? If you're not a Christian, God demands a response from you today. God is looking for a response. And the response is threefold. It's confession, it's repentance, and it's invitation. Confession is agreeing with God's assessment that yes, we are sinners. Yes, we've fallen short of the grace and glory of God. And each one of us have went our own way. It's confession. It's agreeing with God's assessment. It's repentance. The second thing where we go, my life's heading in the wrong direction. I need to turn it around and go the opposite direction. I need to go God's way. And then we begin to realize we can't do that in our own strength. And the third thing is invitation. We have an opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts to help us to walk that way. I can't do this. I can't do this without God. It's utterly pointless me trying. Without the Holy Spirit in my life, I can't do it. Confession, repentance, and invitation. If you are a Christian, have you become over-familiar with the Lord? Do you walk away from church thinking, well, that was quite a good movie? Or maybe buy the DVD. (laughs) And these days you can. (laughs) Because we're online and you can watch it later. And some of you might be. But we can walk away and we can forget and go out of this place untouched by the Savior of the whole world who wants to have a relationship with us. Has your light grown dim? Or are you still in love with Jesus? Are you passionate about his purpose? You see, it's the same process as it is for somebody who's not a Christian. Confession, repentance, and invitation. Lord, my heart's gone hard. Maybe towards somebody else. Maybe towards church. Maybe to being in church, in person. Repentance, turning around and doing things differently. Under the power of the Spirit, who we invite in. And we invite him in afresh. And we surrender our lives. We surrender ourselves to serve God. I wonder if we can just maybe bow our heads as we come to the end of our service this morning. I'm going to pray two prayers. One is a prayer for those who've never made a decision to become a Christian. The second is a prayer for those who are Christians, but maybe you're just not where you ought to be. And we're going to pray and invite God, the Holy Spirit, to come and to strengthen you and to fill you and to equip you. So let's pray those two prayers. Here's the first one. If you're not a Christian, repeat this prayer after me in your heart. But then after you've prayed it, tell somebody that you've prayed it. Because we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. That's how we're saved. Let's just pray this prayer quietly into yourself. Dear God, I confess that I've got it wrong. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I've been doing life my own way on my own terms. I ask that you forgive me. I turn my life around. I repent. I get it sorted out with you today and ask that you come into my heart and that you equip me to live the way that you want me to. In Jesus' name, pray that prayer if you're not a Christian today. And for those who are Christians, maybe for some today, for some today, for some today, maybe there's just that cooling off. Just that cooling off in your life. You're not where you once were. You're not totally away from God. You've not drifted away but that, there's something about that passion that has just began to dwindle. Maybe it's life knocking, uh, knocking you about a little bit, and it's, it's affected your passion for God. And I, I really feel today God is coming to us afresh today, and he's saying, look at my son. Look at my son. Look at what he accomplished. He is worthy of all your service, all your worship, all your passion, all of your life. And Jesus said that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things which you're needing will be given to you. I think the challenge is today for those who are Christians to seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're not trying to do it in your own strength. You do it in his righteousness. We sang it in the song. We stand in his righteousness. It's not about our good works. It's not about all the good things that we've done. It's about that moment on the cross where Jesus said, it is finished and our acceptance of that offer, of that sacrifice for our sins. It's, it's, it's all in his terms, folks, today. It's all in his terms. And so let me just pray a prayer. And Father, I ask that if there are those of us who have found ourselves drifting at sea a little bit, maybe we're drifting away from you, drifting away from church, Father, we pray that you would draw us back in, draw us back into a relationship with you where we seek you first and we're concerned about the things which are important to you. And Father, you've called us to live in the context of a body, the context of a family, the context of a bride being prepared for the bridegroom, which is Jesus. Father, we are your church, and you've called us to live in community. And Father, we pray that you just restore us, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit. And Father, that would be something of heaven which comes and touches us today. Father, we pray that you would accomplish your purposes for each person in this church today. Those who are joined online, those who are here in person, those who uh, maybe are, are from a different church who will watch this message, listen to this service. Father, we ask that your hand would be upon each one and that you would touch us in a way where we are willing to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Father, we know that as we do that, everything else will sort itself out. The things which we need, the things which we're struggling with will be sorted out. And so, Father, we just lift this prayer to you. And Father, I ask over this congregation that you would bless and protect. Father, I ask over this congregation, that you would smile upon each one and that you would be gracious to each one. And Father, I pray for this congregation that you would show your favor and Father, that you give each person your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great week. Remember, 6.30 tonight on Zoom prayer. Hopefully you got the link. I made a bit of a mistake with emails this week, but hopefully you've got that. Monday, 9.30, Wednesday, 7.30 in the evening. Lord bless you. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy the sunshine.